0: You're not the boss of me now and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm the Middle podcast where we watch and talk about every episode in chronological order. Today we're talking about Book Club, which originally aired November 18th, 2001, was directed by Todd Holland and written by Alex Reed. Hi, I'm Jake and I blame Lillian Miller for all my problems.
1: And I'm David. And Crazy Beats Big every time.
0: Ooh, you may have stolen an award from me early there, David. Yeah! <laughs> First things. First, we've got a community segment. Oh, joy. Why do you always sound so worried when I say that, David?
1: Because they always write in and say you're wrong. Also, you teased me with this one from our good friend Eric from File at Under Entertainment last week, and I'm I'm scared.
0: Well, let's start with some poll results.
1: Yeah, those are usually nicer.
0: Fair. And for the first episode of season three, uh, Houseboat, we both agreed that Malcolm was the shittiest kid for kicking Hal off the boat. Yeah. And the internet unanimously agreed with us. And we also agreed that Dewey was the least shitty kid uh, on account of he didn't do anything bad and he had horrible things happen to him all episode long. And the internet also unanimously agreed with us on that. It is. All unanimous this week.
1: Well, the internet's smart this week.
0: (laughs) That's one way to put it. Uh, We do also have a message on Twitter from Erica regarding daylight and uh, darkness in Alaska. Uh, She says... So as you get close to the poles, day and night disappear during summer and winter. Spring and fall have somewhat normal light, but during summer, the sun is up 24 hours, and in winter, it's dark 24 hours. So the show was partially right.
1: Yeah, and that's awful. That's why I could not live in Alaska, and hats off to those of you who do, because, no, I'm good.
0: Uh, fair. It seems really rough.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm already, like, I suffer a little bit from, uh, and now the term just left my brain. I know what it is.
0: Forgetfulness?
1: Uh, I, I definitely suffer from forgetfulness, Jake. Um, no, uh, seasonal affective disorder. I'm, I'm not, like, super bad with it. Like, I've known people who it, like, sets them off and, like, unfortunately puts them in a point where their life is not really manageable without assistance. Uh, I'm not that bad, but I am way more likely to be depressed and or, like, ragey. When it's not light for long periods of time.
0: Okay. I, I definitely do not have that issue. The darkness does not bother. me. The light thing, I think, would bother.
1: Yeah, I could I could deal with the light. The sun and I are friends, even though I hate it. It's good for my mental health, but I don't like to go out in the sun.
0: <laughs> Fair enough.
1: I'm a nightwalker who needs recharge by the sun, Jake. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I guess.
1: <laughs> Look, I'm a vampire with solar panels. Don't try to figure it out. Just... Accept it
0: Uh, But we do also have an email As David alluded to From our buddy Eric over at File under entertainment Uh, It's a fairly long email so I'm going to uh, Truncate it a bit But it starts uh, Well first of all the title is Chaos on Chaos
1: Oh awesome
0: All all caps with an exclamation point Oh no And he says I'm loving the new Jake energy As season 3 kicks off Especially how much it's rattling David Then he uh, goes on to say, rattling him like he was in a shark cage, 20 meters down.
1: That sounds awful. I'm not afraid. I just don't like it. You're stealing my identity. Sharks want to eat me.
0: Uh, And He goes on to talk uh, about how much he loves sharks and how much he wants to swim with sharks. Like, in a cage. Like, doing the, like, cage thing.
1: Yeah, no, I get it. Uh, Look, I love Eric, but, you know... Clearly an insane man
0: And he also says the only reason he doesn't want to do the free dive Is because he's not a very strong swimmer
1: Okay, what? Like, I don't want to use this word Towards one of our friends But, uh, that's dumb I don't (laughs) You don't swim with sharks It's kind of like, you know, you don't pet a tiger Like, they're cool They're awesome Don't pet the tigers
0: Fair enough Because I'm to an extent, on board with you. Now, I, I also would not like swimming with sharks. but I, I'm not really scared of them. I just, you know, I don't want to be, like, within striking distance of a deadly animal. Which seems reasonable to me.
1: Yeah, you don't go, hey, you're the apex predator of this habitat. Let me go fuck around in this habitat. Yeah. Yeah. No.
0: Like, I like grizzly bears. They're cool looking. But I would never go up to a grizzly bear. <laughs> And if I did and it mauled me, that's on me. I don't think the bear should be held accountable.
1: <laughs> but Jake, bears, beats, Battlestar Galactica.
0: But identity theft is a joke.
1: It's not. Please stop acting it's like me. It's the season
0: three joke. It, God, if it's going to last all season, can we get through this? Uh, continuing with Eric's email, he also said he's enjoying the new Cranstonverse segment, which is nice to hear.
1: At least someone likes it.
0: Uh, and... Finally, he uh, asked us a random question as we requested people start doing. So here it is. And finally, if I were to make a frozen pizza, should I wait to put it in until the oven is fully preheated? Or should I just put it in right away and adjust the cooking time to account for the preheating accordingly?
1: I've got this. I've got this. Preheat your oven, you monster, and then put it in after it's preheated. You want to cook everything evenly. Ah! Also, if you really want good flavor, let it thaw first and then cook it. Now, the then you really have to adjust stuff, though, because the directions on the back are from starting from frozen because they just assume we're all Neanderthals who go, ugh, fire, and throw things in the oven. But no, look, food is not to be taken lightly. It's to be respected, even if it's a cheap $5 frozen pizza. It should taste fucking good. And when you do things like that and you cut corners with food, you ruin the food. I'm not spending money on something that I'm going to ruin. I don't know about you.
0: Uh, I say, don't bother with the oven at all. Throw that shit in the microwave. It'll be fine. Just, you know, throw it in there for a couple minutes. Check on it. It'll be done eventually.
1: This is why Jake has a missing black hole where his soul is supposed to be and why I am a complete human being. Preheat your oven. Use your oven. Jesus.
0: Or better yet, if you want good pizza, order pizza.
1: Or make it. Frozen
0: pizza is a waste. Don't make it. You're not going to make good pizza. You could. Do you have a pizza oven in your house? No, you're not going to make it as you good as the pizza You don't need place. a brick oven pizza. You do for good pizza, David. Half of the places
1: you eat pizza from don't have a brick oven pizza.
0: Yeah, I know. And those places are garbage. That's not going to stop me from eating them. I eat mostly garbage. Oh my god, Jake. (laughs) We were talking about the quality of food here. I'm saying if you want real quality, then go all out. Either, you know, order it from somewhere that knows how to make it, or buy yourself a proper pizza oven and install that. Everything else is, you know, a half-measure waste of time. And that's been our answer to your random question, Eric.
1: I know you guys can't see it, but I'm just shaking my head at him.
0: No, he's not. He's... He's uh, nodding his head in agreement with a big smile and both thumbs up.
1: That's definitely not true.
0: I don't know why you have this, like, surly, disagreeable character you play on the podcast, David. It's, it's weird.
1: Yeah, yeah, because this is a an act.
0: Okay, let's get to this week's episode. Okay, so the cold open for this one will actually start with a bit of trivia because this is based on real-life events... Uh, Something that the writer of the episode, Alex Reed's brother, allegedly did around this age.
1: I found this cold open hilarious. And like, I forgot how much of a trope this was for like, young high school boys until I watched uh, Freaks and Geeks. And then to think that, you know, that ended uh, shortly before this. And so this is still sort of that social thing.
0: Yeah. Well, like during school, they never gave us like enough time to shower like everyone just smelled bad after gym class like showering after gym was like just not possible so it was never an issue that i had to deal with
1: and i was homeschooled so i was fine with showering
0: fair now the, the, the only time i did like the had to do the communal shower thing was like at wrestling meets
1: i never had to do the communal shower thing like there were a few times where it was an option when we had like stuff set up at the ymca where we could use their showers, but why? We were literally driving home.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anytime you could use a home shower, why would you do that?
1: Yeah. yeah. But it was kind of like a trope in this kind of timeline for the, the young boys. And I I think it's realistically was more of a thing in like the earlier 90s and the 80s. It which seems like it, yeah. makes sense why the writers of these shows are like, oh yeah, this is a thing. But then those of us who were actually... In you know middle school and high school around this time Are like no
0: Yeah also like the, the times that I did it It wasn't like no one was like the like Weird homorotic Shower bowl you see in like Media like everyone was like Very pointedly like You stare straight ahead at the wall The entire time <laughs> It was that kind of awkward Instead
1: yeah no that makes way More sense to me and I it doesn't Surprise me at all
0: right so we've talked around it. Uh, let's actually go through what happened in the cold open. Yeah, we should. But it is Reese. and It is the... Essentially, the entire thing is a montage. Starts with Reese gathering hair from various sources uh, off of the floor, out of the shower drain, out of a brush. And he, like, puts it all into, like, a ball, dries it with the hair dryer, then uses hairspray to, like, make it into a wig, which he then, like, attaches to his armpit to make it look like he has armpit hair. And when Malcolm sees him doing this and gives him a weird look, he says, they started making us shower together in gym class.
1: Which is like a episode or two episode long, like, arc in Freaks and Geeks.
0: Yeah, but I believe it's just one episode.
1: It might, it might be. But yeah, and I immediately had to call back to that, <laughs> seeing that.
0: Fair enough. But getting into the episode proper, we will, of course, start with the f plot. Which begins with Francis and Eric talking on the phone, with Francis asking him how Alaska is, and Eric being upset because apparently Francis is multiple weeks late to the job that he has, like, set up for him. And, uh, in their conversation... Francis reveals that he is still 2,000 miles away. He has made it to Washington. Yikes. Which he thinks uh, has to be almost there because it's taken him so long to get here.
1: Yeah, he's uh, for someone who's such a super effective hitchhiker, he is a very ineffective hitchhiker here. Yeah. He has presumably gotten from Alabama to either Oklahoma slash California twice in... A series of weird events, but quickly. Yes. But now that he actually has a reason to be somewhere that is good, he can't get it done.
0: Yeah, well, he does explain some of the issues that he's run into. True. He says he ran out of money and had to tar roofs for a week, or I think he says a couple days. Then he also says he got held up because apparently there's a serial killer who looks like him. In, uh, where did you say, Idaho? Is that where you yep, said? Yep, in
1: Idaho. Which why he went through Idaho doesn't... It, that, that makes sense. That makes sense for the Oklahoma makes, part. Yes. Right.
0: It's more support for the Oklahoma theory.
1: It is. It is.
0: Because, yes, if he's going from California to Washington, not a good route. <laughs> he fucked up somewhere.
1: Although, also a possibility.
0: True. It is close enough that it's, like, within the margin of, you know, fuck up for Francis.
1: yeah. And I, I didn't pay attention to where in Washington he said he was. Because, like, I, I should have. That way I could have pinpointed, you know, like, how far east or west in the state he was. I suppose. But I, I didn't pay attention.
0: Yes. I mean, he's all, presumably at least in northern Washington. Yeah. As he wants to know which uh, provincial road to take. Which imply he's, you know, going into Canada. And he directly says that. He says he's right outside of British Columbia. Yep. But... Eric tells him to hurry up. He can only save this job for him for so long. And Francis sets out, resuming his journey to Alaska through Canada now. Oh, and he also says that he has to be close because he exchanged all his U.S. dollars for Alaskan dollars.
1: Uh, there is no such thing as an Alaskan dollar. And
0: then he goes to chase after whoever he changed money with.
1: (laughs) Poor Francis. I like to think it's just Monopoly money.
0: I mean, Canadian money basically looks like Monopoly money.
1: Oh, low blow. But also, the loony? Come on now.
0: Oh, Canadian money is awesome. Definitely better than ours. I I am not calling it Monopoly money to make fun of it. I'm saying our money should be more like Monopoly money.
1: I mean, it's getting there. Have you seen the new hundreds? They're like blue and green, but it's like a weird green.
0: I've not seen that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, just give it. Give it another, I don't know, 20 years and we'll have caught up. We'll yeah, have plastic money.
0: I mean, or we just won't have physical money.
1: Anymore. No, see, that's way too like Star Trek Federation, everyone gets a long thing for us. I don't think so.
0: I don't. I see it. I see it as possible.
1: I see it a lot of people would want it. I don't think America gets it done.
0: Maybe. We'll see. We'll see.
1: <laughs> Not in our lifetime anyways. There's too many old politicians still alive.
0: I guess. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I, th- I think it'll be gone in our lifetime.
1: Jake's an idealist, everyone.
0: Absolutely. But we then see Francis hitchhiking, and a truck pulls over, and a truck driver uh, picks him up. The driver uh, is played by Jim O'Hare.
1: Doesn't matter. His name's Jerry.
0: Or Larry. Or Terry. No, it's Jerry. Who knows? It's Jerry. Uh, But yes, as David is alluding to, you may recognize him from Parks and Rec, where he plays... Larry, Jerry, Terry. We off this fuck up. But he tells Francis he can take him almost the entire way. Uh, as his, he's going to a place that, uh, you know, from the sound of it, uh, ends or, you know, goes by where Francis is uh, trying to end up in Alaska. And Francis is very grateful. He starts crying. Uh, he says that everyone else that uh, passed him was flipping him off as they passed and refusing to pick him up. And uh, the truck driver offers him some coffee. And Francis is, uh, very happy, like, and very emotional about it. And he says it's taken the last three days to get 20 miles. Then, when we come back to these two, Francis is telling this trucker about his issues with Lois, about the fight that they got into when he was leaving, about how, you know, she's such a control freak, and he tells him that it sounds like Lois is just scared that if she doesn't control everything, something horrible will happen.
1: Jerry's insightful. True. He's like an amateur psychiatrist.
0: That is what he says. He drives 18 hours a day and he just sits around thinking about why people do the things that they do. And he points out uh when Francis says that, you know, he has a, a line and it, well once it's crossed, he's out. He can't take it anymore. That, that's why he left. And uh the this trucker starts telling him, you know, it's, it's really interesting how. You know, everyone's line is different and how it changes depending on the circumstances for instance it's cold out and there's no other cars on the road uh so if he were to tell francis that if he wanted to continue riding he has to put on a silly red uh, curly haired wig uh he might do it and francis you know starts to say well yeah but that's a ridiculous you know thing to say you, you can't just make your point with these you know arbitrary arguments that he like Cuts off realizing that this guy is holding out the exact wig he described to Francis.
1: Yep.
0: And Francis does, in fact, put it on. Then, when we come back to them again, uh, this little mind game has escalated. Francis is now leaning out the window, singing a song. And he, of course, still has the wig on. Then the trucker tells him he messed up one of the words he has to start over.
1: That's right. All the way over.
0: And Francis starts to complain, saying it's cold out there, he can't even feel his lips anymore. And the trucker, like, starts to pull off to the side of the road, and Francis sticks his head back out the window and resumes seating.
1: I don't know why you keep referring to Jerry as the trucker.
0: In order to distinguish him from his Parks and Recreations character, Because unlike Brian Cranston, all of his roles aren't the same person, David. I
1: mean, (laughs) they kind of are. I know, this trucker's name is Roy. I know it's Roy. Yes.
0: But I'm going to continue referring to him as the trucker.
1: Yeah, his name's Jerry. And because of this creepy stint and Francis eventually calling the cops on him, he actually had to give up his life of trucking and he had to kind of go into hiding. And he settled down and created a life for himself in Pawnee, Indiana. It's all connected, Jake.
0: Are are, are we doing the every shows in the same universe strategy? Is that the plan?
1: No, just the ones I like.
0: Okay, gotcha.
1: If I can find a connection between like my top 10 shows. I'm good. We got like a third of them covered with the Cranston verse.
0: I suppose. <laughs> uh, also, if you want to do it like behind the scenes, just say uh, you know all the Ken Quapis directed shows because that covers all of the shows.
1: That's fair. Well,
0: it covers like every sitcom, anyways.
1: Right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the next time we come back in this progression, Francis is laying in the floorboard of the passenger side with like his feet up in the air. And he is telling the trucker, you know, none of this is working. If, if he thinks this is bothering him, it's not. And he, the trucker, like, leans over with his coffee and says, squeeze, and, like, puts the coffee cup uh, between his feet and has Francis, like, be a living cup holder for him. Then, when we come back again, Francis is now, like, covered in props, he has, like, giant ears on, a, like, big felt, like, sheriff's badge, uh, a brazier and a tutu.
1: And a vest under the brazier.
0: It's all, all in addition to the original wig. And the trucker is telling him that he's never seen someone, you know, put everything on. The prop uh, box is empty. And Francis is telling him, you know, at first he was against these experiments he's doing on him, but... Yeah, you know, he's really learned a lot about himself, and he's come to appreciate the experience. Then they pull off and go to get dinner, with Francis still wearing all of his props, and they go inside, and there are, uh, two other truckers there, uh, which Roy immediately greets one of them, and, uh, they also have people in, like, similar silly costumes, and Francis' plotline ends, With Roy asking, what time the pageant starts? And Francis realizing this is all like a big joke. It's not some weird psychology experiment.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I love this arc and I hate it. I hate when TV and movies make truckers the like weirdos and the murderers, but also like the there's a lot of truckers who were weirdos, like right. not most of them are axe murderers, but y'all are a little weird, like goddamn. And I know this is someone's going to listen to this and be like, my dad's a trucker. So is mine. And I spent a lot of time on the road with him. And that's where I feel confident saying this. Look, truckers are fucking weird sometimes. So I understand why this stereotype exists. But I also hate it because I've met so many really cool people who are truckers who are actually really, really fucking smart because they spend 18 hours a day thinking and driving and listening to, you know, satellite radio talk shows with people who are way fucking smarter than us. Right. So it's I, I, I just I hate that trope of like at least they didn't make Roy like smelly and dirty because while yes, those truckers exist. But like I, I hate that stereotype. Because they're really most of them aren't. Right. Some are, but so yeah, I I don't know. But other than that, I absolutely love this.
0: Yeah, and I do think this is on the like on that scale. It's fairly inoffensive. Like in the at, like by the end, especially like the pageantated Roy seems more like an asshole than like a sociopath. Like, this, this could have been a lot darker.
1: Yeah, this could have gotten way darker, and I was waiting for that, honestly, because...
0: Uh, yeah, I, I was also, I was, like, trying to remember, like, does this go really bad? I don't remember if it does or not, but a lot of times it does with this joke.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's, I, I appreciate that. And I do love the ending, and to be fair, the ending kind of fits the sense of humor that develops in the... Trucking communities, especially, you know, back then and, and even further back, like, uh messing with hitchhikers and, you know, four-wheelers as they refer to regular cars.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's a very good uh Hank of the Hill episode.
1: Hank uh, of the Hill? Really? Uh-huh. I, I hate you so much. That's the same, much.
0: David. But, uh, yeah, there's the, 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 a really good, uh, like, trucker episode of that that, like, goes into, like, that that type of, like, trucker stuff. The, the disdain for, like... Amateur truckers. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Amateur truckers, people who haven't been driving long enough, uh, people who can't use the CB radio right, regular passenger vehicles who don't know how to drive or don't know the, the like, inherent rules of the road that semis use. Yeah. No, absolutely.
0: Okay. uh, From there, let's go to the L plot.
1: Oh, look at you embracing it. I appreciate you. It's about time you learned. It only took three three seasons.
0: You're welcome, David. So it starts at the dinner table where the family is gathered around. And the boys are talking in burps. Uh, Malcolm, you know, asks for something to be passed in burp. And then thanks Reese when he passes it in burp. And they're all laughing about it except for Lois. And when she tries to get Hal to get them to stop, he responds in burp. Telling them that it's been enough, then Dewey, like, uh, bends over as he, like, reaches across the table to grab something, and Reese makes a loud fart noise. And of course they all laugh about that, except for Lois, who is getting annoyed, and asks why they can't just have a nice dinner without the sound effects. And Hal says she's right, uh, how hard would it be for us to have a nice dinner conversation? Crickets. They, they all fall completely silent. Until Lois asks Malcolm how his day was, and he says history class was pretty fun. Then when she asks uh, him to talk about it, he explains that it was fun because there was a fight outside of the playground that they could see out the window. (laughs) And that's where David's intro line comes from as he explains that a much smaller kid beat up a big kid. And uh, Dewey says that he's crazy, and Hal says "It's it's like I always say. Uh, crazy always beats big.
1: Yeah, no. I, look, big has its advantages. I know, but uh, I agree with Hal. Crazy will beat big. That's why you got to be big and crazy, like me.
0: Uh, uh, for the audience, Dave just made a very dumb face.
1: No, it was a very normal face. It was it was what I call a uh, a reflection of Jake.
0: You didn't shave your head.
1: I almost spit root beer all <laughs> over my mic. <laughs>
0: But uh, dinner comes to an end when Lois gets up and uh, she goes to get something out of a lower drawer and she bends over and someone off-screen makes a fart sound. And everyone, including Hal, starts laughing. Then when Lois turns, uh, obviously angry, all of the boys just scatter, (laughs) leaving Hal there alone. Poor Hal. Who uh, just looks nervous and asks Lois how her day was. (laughs) Uh, then Lois and Hal are in bed together. Uh, Hal has his, uh, shirt like partially pulled up and he's picking at his belly button.
1: Yeah, it's so gross.
0: It is pretty gross. And Lois tells him that she's joining a book club, which Hal immediately warns her not to. Because he joined an album club once and those people never stopped hassling him. And she has to explain what a book club is to Hal. (laughs) Uh, and as she like explains it and uh, why she you know thinks that she needs this, uh, she needs to spend some time around some women. She spends all day with Hal and the boys. Hal is preoccupied with picking the lint out of his belly button. and Lois accuses him of not listening, but he reassures her that he was and he says the book club is a good idea. He thinks that she should do it, and he can take care of the boys for a night. Then he holds up his belly button lint to Lois and has her blow on it and make a wish so gross <laughs> then we get Lois at the first book club meeting where it is very apparent almost immediately she is the only one who read it she's like trying to talk to one of the other moms there about the book and she just sort of doesn't respond initially and then uh, when Lois like continues on she says I'll have to take your word for it I didn't read it <laughs> Then, unless, like, addresses the group at large, she learns that, in fact, no one has. This is more of a wine and cheese club than a book club.
1: Yeah, it's it's a social club, Jacob. Well, really, it's uh, I Hate uh, Lillian.
0: Well, it, it evolves into that. Yeah. Uh, at this point, it's basically just, like, a bunch of, like, moms. Essentially, this club is, like, an excuse for them to take a night off from doing mom stuff. Good for them. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, they deserve it. Have your wine, have your cheese. Yeah. Chillax. Your kids are monsters. Fair. I know. I get it. My kid is also a monster, but I love him.
0: But they all, like, commiserate as they drink more and more wine, like, pretty immediately. It's obvious that they are all uh, drunk, like, from the second time we come to the book club meeting, as uh, they're all complaining about their families, You know, Lois is complaining about how when she gets home from a 10-hour shift, the boys are covered in grass and paint, and the first thing they say is, where's dinner? But quickly, uh, this conversation turns uh, from their families to another mom who's, like, the uh, sort of, like, stereotypical, like, alpha mom-type figure. She's Stepford Wife. Yeah, Uh, who is Lillian Miller. They uh, complain about how... uh, You know, her family took her on vacation to Spain. They talk about how uh, she doesn't have, like, all all of their problems. She found time to make 20 cakes for the school bake sale.
1: And they were delicious.
0: Yes, which loss is very upset that they were good. And then they're upset that she's, like, still in good shape despite being such a great cook. And Lois says that, you know, it's not society that's causing all of their problems. All of their problems can be traced back to Lillian Miller. And they leave the house, like, in formation like it's an action movie as they walk down the street. And when they get to Lillian Miller's house, uh, immediately Karen, who was like the host of the uh, book club, starts, like, stomping on some of her flowers. And Lois, like, pulls her away and says, that's not why we're here. We're here to mess with her car. So that she'll be late for a carpool tomorrow, like a normal person.
1: I love that. Like a normal person. We're not all always late.
0: And then one of the, like, moms goes on, like, a little tirade about how, like, this is going to snowball into ruining this lady's life.
1: Yeah, and she'll be in a trailer soon. And... It's just crazy. She she has this fantasy how ruining her car is going to somehow set her back into lower class, just white, lower class poverty is the word I was trying to draw there. Yes. My God, that took me forever to brain.
0: Bear, you're having some real brain issues tonight. Am I? Yeah. That was the first one. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. Okay. (laughs) If you say so. Yeah, you're editing the rest of them out. Gotcha Uh, It is worth noting they like comment on how perfect this house is when they get up to it And it is like a fairly famous TV house that's been used in like a bunch of TV shows Uh, Most notably it's like one of the main houses from Desperate Housewives Uh, And it was also used in uh I can't remember, I can remember the name of the fucking family but not the name of the show Uh, It's the the second Cleaver's house
1: Leave it to Beaver?
0: No, maybe, I don't think so Cleaver? Yeah, the Cleaver's It's it's a famous sitcom family. Isn't that Beaver? Don't think so. I don't think so either, but... I don't think his name is Beaver Cleaver. I feel like I would have remembered that. (laughs) No, no, it it is Leave it to Beaver. You're right.
1: Okay. Thank you. See? My brain's not completely fried, Jake. I... See? No, yeah.
0: Yeah. I was right. Yeah, Beaver Cleaver. Okay. That, That is an even dumber name than I remembered.
1: Oh, that is a great name.
0: That now now I feel like I need to check if that's the right show. Right? So I, I like do not.
1: I don't think it is. Because I don't recognize... Look, Leave it to Beaver was one of those shows that was always on TV land at Grandma's house and or Mom and Dad's. Yep. So, like, I've seen a lot of Leave it to Beaver. Oh, yeah, I,
0: yeah. No, it's Leave it to Beaver. Is it? Yep. It's the uh, second house in Leave it to Beaver.
1: Is it? Yep. I don't recognize it.
0: Uh, fair enough. I recognized it from Desperate Housewives.
1: I have seen all of the things you mentioned, and I do not recognize that house.
0: Fair enough. Well, it's a famous house, David.
1: Okay. Look, I barely know the most famous house, so I know it's in Pennsylvania somewhere.
0: Wow. Ah. You don't you don't feel like you would recognize like the Full House house? I feel like that one's pretty well known as well. I on the inside, not know.
1: the outside.
0: I would not recognize the. Like it's, I would immediately recognize the outside. Same with like uh, Fresh Prince, I recognize that. Oh, uh, I would recognize
1: the Fresh Prince house immediately. Yeah. The Full House house just looks like every like San Francisco hill house that's ever been built. So
0: that's not true. Yeah, it looks it's, ex- it's fairly distinctive even among
1: them. No, if you Google San Francisco, you will see at least two houses that look exactly like the Full House house.
0: Now you'll see similar house. I feel like I'd be able to pick it out of a lineup. I'd be like, that's the house that ruined my childhood right there.
1: Why are they? Yeah, why are you picking it out of a lineup? This is, you're insane. And I don't like this.
0: Uh, Because it committed murder.
1: It didn't commit murder.
0: Yeah, it it, uh, committed, it murdered Uncle Joey's career.
1: First of all, wow. (laughs) Second of all, I feel like anyone who spends their time quoting Wayne Gretzky that much killed their own career. You get one Gretzky quote, in a show. It's the Michael Scott rule.
0: I feel like there's multiple Wayne Gretzky quotes in The Office.
1: There probably is, but Steve Carell is Steve Carell, and he can literally say anything, and people will put him in a show.
0: I guess. He's only, nah, I don't know. He doesn't know a lot of shows.
1: Yeah, because he's better than TV.
0: Well, he's he not. Was. St- Ooh. <laughs>
1: he's not stuck on TV, Jake.
0: I don't know. I think that's why I prefer him. I think Steve Carell might be the, like, biggest gap between, like, how much I like someone and how, like, good of an indicator them being in it is good. Like, early Steve Carell in some really good movies. But after, like, a few years, he's in a lot of bad movies. Like, almost exclusively bad movies.
1: He took the Adam Sandler approach.
0: I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I've never... Look... I, I, I've never watched one of his movies and then wanted to gouge my eyes out.
1: All right. Well, look, we're going way too far down this tangent. I could talk about Adam Sandler, like how much I love his horrible movies at length, but that's that's another podcast.
0: Yeah, you're not wrong.
1: Yeah. Look, Adam Sandler is legitimately one of the few people who I, like, know, most of the time if a movie's bad, you know me, I just don't watch it. I'm not like you where I love, like, campy bad stuff or I love stuff for being bad. The one exception of that so far in my life has been Adam Sandler. Like his stuff is, I I love his bad stuff because it's so fucking horrible. I guess I don't know. I, I it's a weird thing. I don't know why.
0: That, I, those are like the bad movies that I can't stand because they're not bad enough to be like funny bad. They're just boring. I guess I. Maybe if I was watching, like, his Netflix exclusive stuff, that looks like it might veer into so bad it's funny territory. Yeah,
1: that's what I was talking about. I'm
0: I'm thinking more along, like, the, you know, like, grown-ups.
1: I've never actually seen grown-ups.
0: I don't recommend it.
1: That's what I've been told.
0: It's a phenomenal waste of some of, like, the best comedic actors ever.
1: Yeah, I've never seen grown-ups, grown-ups 2, or Spanglish, which,
0: uh... Spanglish is a whole different.
1: Yeah, it is. I know.
0: I, I actually like that movie. It's fine.
1: Okay. Back on topic, Jake. Jesus.
0: Okay, back on topic. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they are at Lillian Miller's house, and they, like, sneak like towards her backyard. It's presumably where her car is, I guess. It's really unclear why they're... No, it, it's
1: very clear why they're going to the backyard, Jake. Do you not put this together? Why? Okay, they're going to the backyard because they're trying to peep through the windows... To find Lillian Miller so they can put a lookout on Lillian.
0: Gotcha.
1: Because that's what leads to the next scene.
0: I mean, kind of. No, it's No no, I know, but like the the Okay, well we'll cover the scene and then I'll I'll tell you why I think you're wrong. Okay. So they they are they're sneaking past the window, and they like, see her making some cookies, and they're upset that she's wearing pearls while she's doing this. And uh Karen wants to Uh, murder her and take the cookies.
1: (laughs) A bit excessive, Karen.
0: Yes. Which at that point, like, to get rid of her, Lois sends her to go, like, as a lookout. Which is why it doesn't... It doesn't make sense that they're, like, that's the reason that they're there. So it is.
1: And I have good reasoning, but we need to keep going and I'll, I'll explain the whole thing.
0: So then they go to her car and they, like, open the hood and they realize none of them know enough about cars to, like, really fuck with it. Then Lois says, it doesn't matter, just unplug something. That's right, just pull wires. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Then Karen is, uh, you know, gone from uh, where she was supposed to be, the lookout. She has set Lillian's garbage on fire and kicked the can over in her front yard. And Lois, like, rushes over to her and, like, stomps out the fire and... Uh, She asks Karen if, uh, you know, trying to distract her, if she can say the alphabet backwards, but she immediately does.
1: Yeah, flawlessly, too.
0: Yes, she nails it. And she says, I've been pulled over a few times. (laughs) And, uh, I assume that's what you're talking about, because then, like, one of the other moms yells that, uh, Karen is gone.
1: Yeah, two of... Uh, two of the uh, moms come out from the side where they went over the bushes to go spy through the window and they say, "Guys, Lillian's gone and then uh she comes out uh, and racks a shotgun
0: <laughs> yes, which sends them all running and with Karen and Lois running together as they like scatter. Then, Karen and Lois are hiding in a dumpster, in an alley, they're, like, peeking out as a cop car passes. Lois is worried because the same cop cars passed multiple times, she thinks that they know that they're there, and they, like, have a little heart-to-heart in the dumpster, where, uh, Lois says that, you know, she just wanted to, she just wanted to talk about this book, it was really good, and, uh, Karen asks her, you know, how she even had time to read the book with, you know, how horrible her family is. And Lois says that she lied about how horrible her family is. Uh, they're, they're really not that bad. Uh, they're idiots, but they try. Then <laughs> Karen takes the, uh, full. She's going to distract the cops so that Lois can escape. Yeah. And she tells Lois to get back to her family. They sound nice. <laughs>
1: And she hops out of the dumpster saying, here, piggies, what do you got?
0: Yes, yeah, so and she runs off screen and we hear her say, what are you going to do with an electric shaver? Then the sound of her being tased.
1: The satisfying clack clack. Yes. God, that sound sucks. Uh, that does not seem pleasant. Yeah, I used to have a shitty brother-in-law who was a shitty cop. And uh, he used to sneak up behind me and try to play this game of getting the taser as close to as he could to me and then clacking it with the dry stun. Ugh.
0: Okay. That is where we will leave Lois' plotline for now, as it sort of ends at the same time as the B-plot does. Uh, So the B-plot, which centers around the boys and Hal, we can call it B for boy plot.
1: Really, Jake? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's not even a character. I, I feel like you don't even understand this. Like... This is a basic principle, and you fail every time.
0: I mean, it makes just as much sense as the character thing. No, it does it, not. It is just as dumb.
1: No, first of all, how dare you? <laughs> Eric and I created a perfect system. The fact that you can't grasp it is not our, not our problem.
0: Listen, listen. Don't give Eric credit for this. You came up with this. He just tagged a log.
1: Same thing. <laughs> Look, if you come in as, like, a full investor on something... You get to say, "Hey, look! I made that. Eric did that."
0: No, no. If you're not there, you know, on the ground floor at the start, you're not a creator. Wow. That's, that's the way it works.
1: Not always. <laughs> Depends on how early you invest, Jake,
0: and how effectively you erase the other people's legacy.
1: <laughs> wow. Wasn't even going there with it.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I I just think along, you know, the your your corporate metaphor. Uh, but I, it, uh, branches out with Lois leaving for the book club. Because once she, you know, uh, gets ready and she announces that she's leaving, the boys get immediately very excited as they, like, rush to their room and start plotting. Which Reese and Malcolm are sort of the masterminds here. And they, they clue Dewey in. They tell him that they have some fireworks buried in the backyard. And they're going to get them... And use them to ruin a party that they weren't invited to in order to punish the people who didn't invite them. Yeah. Uh, but we cut from them to Hal, and we get his inner monologue as he is, like, uh, thinking about, you know, how everything needs to go good tonight. So he has to make sure the boys don't get into any trouble so that Lois can, you know, have this time for herself. And uh, he, like, initially, like... like Starts to comfort himself with, they're good boys, it'll be fine. And then he, like, realizes, no, they're not, they're monsters. <laughs> and he, like, flies into a panic. And, like, the boys start to come out of their room, and he immediately sends them back to their room and says they're going to stay there. <laughs> and he tells them they need to stay in their room the entire night. Then when we come back to the spot line, he, like, storms into their room, uh, you know, making sure that they're... You know, still behaving. He says, it's been too quiet for the last 30 minutes. (laughs) Then he uh, goes back out into the kitchen, like initially patting himself on the back, you know, saying, you know, he he put the fear in them. They definitely won't misbehave now. Then he starts to worry that maybe he went too far. He was too harsh. And they're going to act out because of how harsh he was. And the acting out's going to be worse. Now, what he really needs to do is get them on his side. And at this point, it's cutting between, like, his inner monologue and him, uh, like, talking out loud to himself as he, like, literally argues with himself.
1: That's right. Like any irrational father. Trust me, I've been there. And I don't have three of them.
0: Fair. Then, well, the the boy starts to sneak out the window. Reese breaks out his combat shovel.
1: Yeah, it's a a traditional E-tool. Yes. Yeah, it's funny.
0: And they start to sneak out the window, but Hal comes in with ice cream, like, knocking Dewey over, who was supposed to be, like, on watch, but was very clear, like, facing into the room just in front of the door. Like, as he's locked to the ground, he says, Dad's here! Um, and he brings them ice cream and then eats with them, like, in their bedroom floor. And he, like, takes all the bowls to clean up for them. And the boys are talking about, like, uh, how weird Hal has been. Uh, they're worried that he's having you know, some kind of issues at work or something. And of course, Malcolm immediately tries to find a way to use that against him.
1: Exploit it is the word he uses.
0: Then their plan evolves. They, they decide that they are going to use Dewey as a distraction. They are going to have him cry and ask how to get the train set out of the attic. Of course, knowing that there is no train set in the attic.
1: Yeah, and while he's up there looking for it, we can go dig up the fireworks.
0: Exactly. But they need Dewey to do just the right cry for the situation. But, uh, meanwhile, out in the kitchen, Hal is progressing in his mental breakdown. (laughs) He's, uh, you know, at first, once again, congratulating himself on a job well done. But then he immediately starts worrying that it's still not going to work, that he was too soft on them. Then he, like, turns, and he sees a smaller version of himself sitting on the kitchen table. And they start having a conversation uh, about what they should do. Then the, when the boys come out with Dewey crying and start to try to implement their plan, Hal, like, just immediately cuts them off and says they should spend more time together. He thinks they should do calisthenics. But we just had so much ice cream. I'm so full. And Hal dismisses these concerns and makes them all do jumping jacks with him. And it cuts from that with, like, Dewey looking, uh, like, sick with, like, his cheeks puffed out. To Hal mopping the floor. This was a stupid idea. That was a great idea. Poor execution.
1: Ah, yes. Thank you, tiny Hal.
0: So then they... A third, even smaller, or a second, even smaller Hal appears. I guess third Hal, if you count the original.
1: Yeah, you gotta count the original.
0: A a second, uh, figment of Hal's imagination version of Hal, who's even smaller, is now sitting on the fridge. They're all Hal. That will be relevant later. I figured. (laughs) But this tiny Hal says that they should just lock the boys in the bathroom until Lois gets home. (laughs) Which we will, uh, soon find out is advice that, uh real world Hal follows. For a short period of time. <laughs> yes. Because when we once again come back to the spotlight, the boys are on the couch watching a documentary about Salt and they're talking about you know trying to figure out why Hal is making them do this and uh, uh, they, they ask well would you rather you know he, we continue being locked in the bathroom or chased by the hug monster <laughs> which apparently were Hal's previous methods that we don't get to see for keeping them under control.
1: I believe it. Look, there's something about nighttime that makes kids harder to deal with.
0: And, uh as they're like talking about this and, you know, talking about how it's so hard to figure out what to do because Hal keeps, you know, wildly sweeting with all these different things. At least Lois is predictable. <laughs> and they're, you know, struggling to come up with a plan. And while they're talking about that on the couch in the kitchen, like pacing back and forth. Hal is losing his mind with, like, a bunch of these mini-Hals scattered around the kitchen, and he goes to his room where it's even worse. There's Hal's everywhere on, like, every surface, sitting on the bed, on, like, the dressers, on, like, the uh, bedside table, and they they all look slightly different. They're all, like, dressed slightly different. Uh there's one in like a karate gi, there's uh one who's just in his underwear, there's one who's dressed like a cowboy, one who's dressed like a newscaster, just to name a few. Yeah, there's a lot of howls. <laughs> yes. And they are all uh just like talking to so like the point that you can't really understand it's just like a bunch of noise and how like comes out screaming, shut up! <laughs> Well, the boys look at him very confused because they were completely quiet. And he says he is going to go take a bath. <laughs> he gets some candles and a lighter. He makes one final plea to the boys. Says, if you love your mother at all, you'll do this for her. You'll just behave. Then he goes off to take a bath. And of course, the second he's gone, they all spread to the backyard. Yeah, of course. And they dig up the fireworks. Dewey also digs up their dead pet. Just the collar. Yes, just the collar. But, uh, the implication is pretty clear. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. as Dewey picks it up, reads, reads it, and says, Mom told me he ran away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor Dewey. But Malcolm and Reese have their fireworks. So they open it up and are, you know, taking them out. And they say they're going to hide them uh, in the closet, you know, rebury the box. Then, uh, they'll go set them off. They'll be home and in bed by the time Lois gets home. Then Lois climbs over the fence in the backyard screaming, FIREWORKS? (laughs) I can't leave you boys alone for
1: a second.
0: Next time I leave, I'm gonna have to chain you down. Yeah. And, uh, as she's, like, yelling at how much trouble they are in, uh, the sound of a chopper, like, slowly comes in followed by a spotlight which centered on Lois as the police yell out for her to put her hands behind her head and get on the ground, which she does, but she never stops tearing into the boys as she complies with their requests.
1: Yep, yeah, she's still telling them how much trouble they're in and how she hopes that her their friends get to do all this cool stuff this summer and they won't get to do it.
0: <laughs> And the episode ends with Hal in the bath, hearing the commotion, and he says, I should probably get out there. And then he looks at the cowboy version of himself, who's the only, like, alternate Hal still there, who's, like, cleaning his toes with a toothbrush, who tells him, you would just mess it up. And Hal says, you're right, and puts a rag over his face and stays in the bath. (laughs) Yeah. And that wraps the episode up. Uh, so let's go to our awards. Awards. Uh, let's start with our Roller Skating King Award, our award for the best visual moment.
1: Oh, well, that, that makes sense considering for mine, we just talked about it. And that is all of the little howls and the progression thereof, the way they do it. It's not particularly high budget or, or high quality. But I love the scene where there's, like, a million of them in the bedroom, uh, particularly the uh, karate gi black belt Hal and the hippie Hal. I mean, I, lo- I just love that image of all these different, like, versions of Hal around the room talking to him and giving him different advice that's, like, themed within that genre of Hal. I-, I love it because he- I really want to know what the advice for dealing with the boys the karate guy had. Because, <laughs> uh, like, is it stereotypical TV karate guy Where, like, it involves punches or kicks Or is it, like, hardcore discipline Like, are we throwing dough balls at them Are we making them do push-ups Like, there, there's so many ways that could go True That's funny Uh, I don't know I, And I just, I love the way it looked So
0: Yeah, fair enough I went with a similar thing But I actually went with Hal before all of that starts Before they add the extra layer of, like, the other Hal's uh, when it's just him talking to himself, the like with the inner monologue, uh, and then him like verbally replying and like arguing, uh, just like having Brian Cranston, like react just through his, uh, mannerisms and his facial expressions, like to the things he's thinking as though they're like being told to him. And, and also, like, they, they do some like very Sam Raimi esque, like tilted cameras and stuff. Yeah. As this is going, it kind of reminds me of the uh, first Sam Raimi Spider-Man, like the way they conveyed like Green Goblin going insane.
1: Yeah, a little bit.
0: It's like a a more mild version of that. Yeah, they which were I'm really enjoyed. They
1: were missing the mirror sequence. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. A hundred percent. That's fair enough. That's if I love Hal's descent to madness. Me
0: too. <laughs> Uh, and what did you give your hot dog with mustard on it award, your award for the best lie?
1: So there were a couple, there was one that I, I wanted and might've taken it if I could have remembered like exactly the quote, but also in my attempt at getting reward awards while I really liked that line, I thought to myself, well, if I can't remember it, it clearly wasn't the best line. So it ended up going to, uh, Hal talking to himself and it's the, they're good kids. What am I talking about? What am I talking about? They're
0: monsters. (laughs) Fair enough.
1: I love that line. And it just sort of wraps up like our whole take and, and everything that we've discovered so far in the last three seasons.
0: I went with a line from Karen. (laughs) As they're, you know, outside, uh, watching, uh, Lillian make, make the cookies. (laughs) It's just those cookies smell delicious. Let's kill her and eat them.
1: Oh my god, Jake!
0: <laughs> it
1: was funny. Karen goes way overboard so quickly.
0: Yes, she does. It's it is great.
1: hilarious, uh, and not in like the typical Karen overboard.
0: Yeah, th- this Karen is not the you know twenty twenty one Karen. Well, this predates she, the Karen. Yes, yeah, she's a very different kind of Karen.
1: Yes, what I want more of these Karens and less of the twenty twenty one Karens.
0: I mean. I guess. I I feel like this version is more destructive. More entertaining, but more destructive. I'm okay with that.
1: Look, I, as a person who worked customer service, Jake, I would much rather have the, like, screaming, yelling, throw the soda at me gal than the, uh, like, let me talk to your manager, Karen. Because one of them just gets banned and you don't have to deal with them ever again. The other one keeps coming back week after week after week. Gotcha. Yeah. One's like a wart. One's like an open sore.
0: Okay, well, David, which plotline did you give the A plot of your heart?
1: I gave it to the L plot. I love Lois. Uh, I love seeing Lois outside of her normal roles. Um, I like that seeing them do things with the character that's different, and I just I love the 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 drunk mom squad.
0: Yes, I also gave it to the L plot. It's so good. Uh, yes, I, I I do love their like drunken antics they're like just immediately deciding that the, this other mom is the the cause of all of their problems right it, it's just so good it's just such a different take almost such a different side of her
1: yeah no it's 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 great to see Lois cut loose
0: yeah and it is interesting that her cutting loose is so in the vein of her children
1: yeah or they where do you think they get it
0: fair enough And what did you give your OK Boomer Award, your award for the moment or detail that sets the episode firmly within its time of release?
1: Album clubs, specifically uh, because right around this time, my mom, uh, well, our grandma was still part of a mailing club for Star Trek The Next Generation. And my mom was part of one for DVDs of the old Wild Wild West TV show. I remember those and you could get magazines, you could get books, you could get CDs. You could get, like, that was still a thing at this time. <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy to think about. Cause now, you know, like uh, there, there was, there's this thing on, on TikTok and other social medias where it's like talking about, you know, proving how you're old and, or tell me that you're old without telling me you're old and all that dumb crap. And one of the common ones that always pops up is I got Netflix through the mail. And I always think, bitch, I remember before Netflix, like, <laughs> and then I feel old and I stop. But, like, yeah, no, I, I all, all of these advancements, like, it, it seems so weird to think back, but no, really, right around this time, we were still getting a ton of stuff, you know, subscription based through the mail. That's how
0: I had a uh, Columbia House yeah. subscription in high school.
1: yeah. Exactly <laughs> um so I uh, the minute uh, Hal mentioned uh album clubs and God they w- would send you stuff in the mail forever trying to get you to reapply if you ever cancel them right. so it, yeah, no, that line of you know you don't want to do that <laughs> they they wouldn't stop bothering me. it just it's so true.
0: yeah, uh, I for mine uh chose something that's uh a thing I've been looking for now. And it is, we have a second different Pokemon plushie in the boys' room. <laughs> I've already mentioned that they had a Squirtle plushie uh, back, I think, in season one. And now they have a Charmander plushie on their bed. Which is, again, uh, this is a few years into the Pokemon craze. It's still, like, fair, like it, it's still around the peak. At this point, probably, like, just starting to go die down a little bit.
1: Which makes sense that they downgrade, then. Yeah, they yeah. went from a Squirtle to a Charmander. I mean, yeah, yeah.
0: Also, I'm just saying, if Bulbasaur uh, doesn't show up, then I mean, that that proves he's the worst of the original starters. Like,
1: do we really need proof?
0: And look, you know, it's been my opinion that Bulbasaur is the worst for you know always, but this will just scientifically prove that he's you know indisputably the worst of the starters.
1: Yeah, I'm with that.
0: Okay, yeah. so we're gonna ignore if Bulbasaur does show up, there, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> like, oh, we didn't see it. Whoops. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Confirmation bias, Jake.
0: Exactly. Uh, moving on to our next award. Who did you have as your favorite character?
1: Lois. Uh, I I consider giving it to Hal because I love Hal and I love this scene. but I I feel like we get this type of thing from Hal more often than we get Lois breaking out of her norm. Uh, at least so far in the series, and I love it when we get it. So I, I, I would feel remorse if I didn't recognize it and show some love to that character, because in my mind, realistically, the Lois and Hal in this are, are tied, but I had to pick one, so there you go.
0: Okay, fair enough. That makes sense. I chose Karen. <laughs> of
1: course you did, Jacob. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs>
0: She just made me laugh, probably the, the hardest and the most, with like her three big moments of the episode. That line that I already said, her setting the trash on fire and kicking it over, and then her like distraction of the police so Lois can get away. I even
1: love the way they introduce her, where she's just like, We don't require reading the book.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I plugged. And I just love the like whole wine mom trope. Yeah. It's evidenced by the fact that we keep bringing up Cougar Town. I was about to, I was <laughs> about to
1: mention Cougar Town, Jake.
0: <laughs> so she very much feels like a Cougar Town character, and uh, I'm here for it. She
1: does. <laughs> she feels like the main character.
0: A <laughs> little bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and who did you give your Chloris Leachman Award, your award for the best acting?
1: Uh, Jane Kesmerick. Uh, I love the Lois is drunk sequences. I think it was very good acting. She looks hammered. And I absolutely love the scene at the end where she's ripping into the boys and then starts to, like, you know, put her hands on top of the head, get down on the ground. She even does it like the way you would command someone down if you were close. You know, she does one knee, then the next. It's it's so funny and so perfect. And she's all the while just screaming yelling at the boys and telling them all the trouble they're in while she's about to get arrested for some pretty serious crimes. I just, I don't know. I I absolutely love it. And again, you see Lois outside of her norm. You get to see her relax. You get to see also, I, I haven't talked about this yet. You get to see how smart Lois actually is. You see crazy Lois or angry Lois a lot. You get to see intellectual Lois for a minute in this. And that's, awesome to me it's a shame that it doesn't get to be explored but it kind of gives you that like sort of insight maybe as to why malcolm is the way that he is i mean she really has some good i, I we i don't know what the books are but regardless she uh, yeah,
0: had the, the book that they're reading is not a real book.
1: sure probably not
0: uh, uh, yeah i checked
1: okay but my point is is she's talking about it like someone who really read the book, paid attention to it, and really, you know, was diving deep into it, you combine that with the mad genius invention stuff that we've seen from Hal, Malcolm starts to make more sense.
0: Yeah, I suppose. But
1: I just, I, I like seeing, again, Lois outside of that norm, and this is another part of her. Now, it's only for a little moment, but it's cool. It's it's another little glimpse into the woman that is Lois, and Jane Kesmerick pulls off being drunk mom really well,
0: yeah, I I also chose Jane Casmerica. The, the the main reason being uh because I I do think I've seen like so few good like performances of like being drunk. I feel like it's something that's really hard to pull off. It almost never comes off as authentic. Like like it it actors tend to like either play it up like too much or or like sort of lean into stuff like like slurring their words and stuff which you don't really get here. This feels like a much realer depiction of like like drunk momness. Yeah,
1: yeah 100 percent. i also love she does a thing where she's leaning into the other uh actress while she's like drunk and talking and getting angry which is such a drunk person thing to do you tend to yes. lean towards other people and gravitate a lot of the times you see actors when they're doing a bad job of acting drunk they're like sort of stumbling and and rotating all around and While that can happen, my experience, which unfortunately I've had a lot of with drunk people, is they tend to lean towards the other people, not only to lean on you for support, but also because they want to just be all happy and lovey and yeah.
0: Yes, every drunk person turns into a close talker.
1: That's right.
0: (laughs) Yes, a 100%. Hey,
1: you, mayor.
0: And I will say, like, to their credit, I feel like, for the most part, the drunk mom, like, club, mo- like, almost all of them did, a, like, a very good job of acting as drunk. Like, I I love the, uh, red-headed mom, like, when Lois is talking about the back hair that she found. Oh, yes. Like, just staring, like, fixated <laughs> at her shoulder also, like, Red is very authentically drunk. Uh, Karen, R- Red is, like, the over-the-top, but, but, like,
1: woo-girl <laughs> drunk She's the wild card, Jake.
0: Yes. (laughs) Well, like the the things that she was doing were over the top, like her mannerisms and behavior and stuff. I thought were very well acted even.
1: Yeah. No, I I 100% agree. I I like that whole crew.
0: Absolutely. That just leaves our shittiest and least shitty kid awards. Who did you give least shitty kid?
1: It was kind of hard this episode for both of these for me. I gave it to Dewey. Obviously, the perfect angel that he is because he's Dewey. And uh, none of the boys really do anything super shitty compared to their normal, like, episodes before. I don't even hold the ber- belching and, and farting noises against them. Oh, it's yeah, annoying. That, that, but that, like,
0: that did not even enter the equation for me.
1: Yeah, no, me either. That's normal boy stuff. Like, yeah, Dewey had, you know, Dewey was able to... Perfect the cry that they wanted, but I assume that's from practice. And you can tell very clearly from Malcolm's instructions that he knew exactly what he wanted from Dewey and that Dewey could produce exactly what he was asking for. So, I mean, I can't even say that that was Dewey's idea. Right. So, because of that, it didn't count against him in my world. So, I gave it to Dewey.
0: Okay. Uh, Yeah, I, I also struggled a bit on these awards, but. What it came down to for me is assuming Malcolm and Reese's plan was fairly nefarious in nature. They're they're planning on ruining this party with these fireworks. Dreams are probably firing them at the party. Agreed. And I couldn't choose Dewey because he aided in that. So I went with Francis okay. just through process of elimination.
1: I thought for a second you were going to say Malcolm, and I was getting prepared to yell. No. Okay. Yeah. No. I I considered Francis. I did, but I okay. I, I, I Francis don't.
0: Francis is pathetic this episode, but he's not really shitty in any way. Right.
1: I I don't want to support his rebellion, but other than that, like I mean, I I agree. He's pathetic. He needs to learn to stand up for himself. He needs to learn a map. Uh like. And uh stuff like that. but no I, I I agree. I I don't think he's shitty so I can I can see why you would pick him.
0: And who did you choose as shittiest kid?
1: uh Malcolm.
0: I also chose Malcolm. I I, I want to take a guess here because I I bet it's for the same reason. okay And it's the thing that puts him over the top is that when they're talking about you know why Hal might be acting out, and you know they express a little bit of concern and then Malcolm immediately says maybe we could exploit this
1: yep yeah 100% yes okay yeah cuz he he planned all the things that Reese did plus exploiting their dad yep yeah and he's smart enough to know what exploiting is and that it's bad
0: Yeah, and on top of that, again, assuming the plan is to fire these fireworks at a party, I feel like Malcolm is, you know, smart enough to recognize that this could have serious consequences. I don't feel like Reese is.
1: Yeah, no, Reese isn't thinking about consequences because Reese doesn't think about consequences.
0: Exactly.
1: Right. He thinks about getting even.
0: Like, if they catch this person's house on fire... There's a 0% chance Reese thought of that as a possibility. Malcolm definitely has. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, I I agree with that. Reese, Reese, when it catches on fire, is going to look at it and go, oh, Malcolm's already running.
0: (laughs) Uh (laughs) (laughs) Now, will Reese feel bad about it? Probably not. But because we don't actually get there, we can kind of only, you know, judge the fact that they were going to do this at all.
1: Yeah. No, I I 100% agree. I I think Malcolm is shittiest kid for this episode.
0: Agreed. Moving on past our awards to our last couple segments, we first have the Cranston Connection, which this week fell on me. And I've got a big theory for the Cranston Connection. Oh, yeah? Yes. I believe, based on this episode and, you know, Hal's alternate versions of himself. This is a clue that Hal suffers from severe dissociative identity disorder. Oh! Which explains why, you know, there's such a dramatic shift from Hal into uh, Walter White, and, you know, all of these uh, other characters is that, you know, he's the, the same person at his core, but, you know, he has this psychological issue where he periodically, like maybe every few years, might just have a major shift in personality. and, You know, maybe even you know, completely forget that previous life.
1: I see. So you your your theory for the Cranston verse is that he his alters are taking control. Yes. Okay.
0: And the, the the specific moment where I decided upon this theory even though we've also seen it in this show, is when we see the Hal who's just a Hal in tidy whities That's Walter White.
1: You know? (laughs) That makes sense.
0: All right, yeah. Should have checked if one of them was dressed like a doctor or dentist to see if I could bring his Seinfeld character in.
1: There was definitely a lab coat on one of them. I I feel like there was. I'm willing to put money on it.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I think that there was, but I didn't double check.
1: Right? You should have, because I'll bet you anything.
0: Yeah, and that's why we have such a vast array of the same character in all of these different shows. You know, sometimes seemingly, you know, with with no memory of these other things he's gone through. That makes sense.
1: That could also be why he leaves the boys and, and you know, Lois, uh, provided some tragedy didn't happen. Could be that his altar took over and then he just didn't remember his old family. So now he's in New Mexico and starting over.
0: Exactly. All right. That just leaves one last segment. David's favorite segment is David's Guessing Game. All right, Jake. Hit me with it. Okay. So for this week, you accurately predicted Lois would be the one joining a book club. Yeah. But other than that, it's a little bit eh... So you predicted that the, the, like, central conflict would be that she would have, like, a uh, class gap within the book club or that the boys would, like, ruin her ability to go to it or she just wouldn't have time to as a mom. I feel like the the class gap stuff kind of played a role not with the book club, but it was still there, uh, just with the book club all gaining up on this one other lady, it seems like partially because of that. Uh, so, I am going to give you a 70% for this week. I mean, that's fair. You, you did okay. You got some stuff, but, you know, n- nothing great. All right, fair. And for next week, what do you think happens in Malcolm's Girlfriend?
1: Malcolm's Girlfriend.
0: Malcolm's Girlfriend.
1: Huh. Well, either the title is completely sarcastic, which seems more likely, but we haven't. I haven't seen that yet, so based on the title, I'm going to say Malcolm Gets a Girlfriend Finally, Okay, and everything else goes out the window. This is the first love. This is that puppy dog love. This is Nothing Matters But My Girlfriend, and you might even see, like, uh, I don't know if we're going to see conflict necessarily with the Krellboins, but I would not be surprised if there's, like... That throwaway scene, if nothing else, of, like, Dabney and Lloyd being like, he's throwing away his future or something like that. You know, because he stops focusing on school and starts focusing on her. Stops focusing on hobbies and focuses on her. And, you know, it's that totally dictatorship love that young boys get for their first love. I predict that. And mm, I think we're done with the Reese malcolm going to the same girl for right now i think they're really pointing at the the division between the middle school and the high school with those two so i don't think we're gonna deal with like a reese jealousy arc here yeah if there's anything about like competition here it'll be with like the krell boys. and i don't think it'll be like some of them might mention that his girlfriend's cute or whatever or like wish they had a girlfriend but i I'll, i'm willing to bet that it is the division of they're such fucking nerds. It's the, it's his lack of motivation to do stuff with them or school uh, versus hang out with the girlfriend.
0: Okay. Well, that wraps this episode up. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email. where We are life is at gmail.com or on Twitter where we are unfair underscore podcast which is also where we put up our weekly shittiest and least shitty kid polls.
1: And if you want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we play video games, chat with the audience, and have a general good time.
0: And as always, remember, life is unfair.